Welcome to Holding the Fort Abroad, the podcast for expats with traveling partners. My name is Rhoda Bangeter. I'm a certified coach and the author of the book Holding the Fort Abroad. In this podcast, I interview men and women who live abroad and whose partners work away from home so that we can all benefit from their wisdom and experience. I also invite family and marriage therapists to apply their expertise to this topic. Today, my guest is Dr. Nita Ramkumar. Dr. Nita is a U.S. licensed psychologist living, practicing, and consulting internationally. Her online private practice includes therapy and coaching services for expats, first gens, interculturalists, digital nomads, diplomats, humanitarian workers, military veterans, third culture kids, and globally mobile folks. Her approach is integrative and humanistic with a focus on solutions for growth and holistic wellness. Dr. Nita, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Rhoda. It's so great to finally be here. Thank you so much for being here. I'm I'm excited to really have your perspective on this topic. Is it okay if we talk a bit first about what you do, who you serve, and then have your input into this scenario of living with a partner who works away? Yeah, absolutely. Tell us who you are, your journey a little bit, and who you serve. Sure. So I would say my my path to this practice is actually very close to the heart, but I took kind of a roundabout way of getting here. I really did traditional training in the United States, and uh, most of my clinical training was in U.S. veterans hospitals. Okay. And I've always been interested in working with families, um, with couples, and I was particularly interested in working with spouses of military veterans and working with some of the intergenerational issues that came up in addition to just the combat trauma that that they were healing from. Right. And I myself, I'm a third culture kid. And so after my training years, I became an expat myself and started experiencing these things as an adult. And uh, when I did start my online practice just a few years ago, it really brought me full circle to working not only with military or veterans, but actually uh, expat families and couples we're living long distance. So when you came up with this idea of let's talk about this in the podcast, I said, like, you know, this is really interesting because it's the first time I've really been able to apply all my professional knowledge to a population that I'm part of and is very close to my heart. Okay. When you were working with veterans, um, did you find that there were a lot of things coming up for them from their time away from families or from Obviously, like you said, there was the trauma of what they lived and the trauma that they bring back with them. But did you find that there was also extra things of, of just being away from family or of, of being in a, in a country that was, you know, at war? Absolutely. And, and the impact that it had on the families, both in terms of spouses, typically wives, um, and their intimacy and being able to understand what happened. It was almost like a split life. Like I don't want to contaminate my family life with the atrocities that I witnessed, but this inability to be an integrated whole person because of the difficulty of sharing the fullness of what the experiences really were. And not to say that we really need to share our worst atrocities with our family members or with our spouses, but being able to be a full person with the sadness, with the difficulty in your relationship is another kind of intimacy and communication skills that these veterans would be working on healing, not just 
coming back from a deployment, but it could be years or generations later trying to, as they're doing their own healing work. And then also seeing, especially with the Vietnam veterans, a lot of times them having a second chance with grandchildren in the ways that they were emotionally disconnected from their own children out of this healing work that maybe was happening years later, then being able to reconnect and be emotionally available in a way that they weren't able to be emotionally available when they came back unhealed was a very interesting thing for me to witness both the intergenerational processes and how these things can follow you into the family dynamic. Okay, this is super interesting, because Mm -hmm. it would probably also be, I, I know for a fact, because we've lived it, but for humanitarians going and traveling to different places, I remember we had a three-week-old and my husband went to a country that was experiencing violence. And when he came back, he was pretty traumatized and it took him ages to get over it because he had a little one at home and then he was seeing violence to little one. You know, he had seen what violence had been done to little ones and it affected him in, in, a, in, in a different way, you know. So I'm just curious, what you're saying is that when they come back, they don't necessarily feel like they're fully present or like a piece of them is missing? One of the most common reactions is emotional numbing or some type of like dissociating. So in order to manage these overwhelming feelings or uh, really in some ways an existential crisis, one way is uh, numbing out. And this can be with substance use or drinking, but it can also just be emotionally And the problem with emotionally numbing the the quote unquote bad feelings and emotions is that you, the cost of that is you're also numbing the good feelings, right? That love, the presence, intimacy, like this is the sort of double-edged sword of our emotions that when you're feeling, you're feeling the good and the bad intensely. And so without processing and integrating and, and working through those intense emotions, what ends up happening is a disconnect from the things that make life worth it, right? Okay. And then the spouses and the children are finding, man, I've been holding out for this person to come back. And they come back and they're sort of a shell. Like, I can't connect with them. I can't get through. There's a wall. And there is a wall, a very real emotional wall. And so I, that, that, I think, is a lot of what the work that we do as therapists uh, is finding ways to bring that wall down. And for me, I found it most interesting to actually do this with this type of work within the family context. I think we're getting more into how the importance of family therapy beyond just working with children, but even as adults for us to do our own healing, it's a lot of it is relational. Mm. Yeah. And so there are more therapy, PTSD therapies with couples, things like this, that we're finding are, are very helpful because it is something that's systemic. It, it's held within the dynamic of the family. The whole family's impacted by it. And uh, you're absolutely right. I, I, there's a cross happening, not just with military populations. It's happening in humanitarian populations. It's also happening in populations that have experienced intergenerational racial trauma, And so it manifests in a lot of different ways. And I am very much fascinated by the interplay of how can we get this healing, not just for the individual who maybe has experienced the traumatic events, but also the family ecosystem. Yes, yes, because it's within that system, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. I'm doing a talk on parenting together when you're apart, but 
you have to put it back into the context of what the partner, the home-based partner's living, what the traveling partner's living, and then what the relationship between those two. And then you can start talking about how you're parenting together, right? So, but I, I think in this context of, of, of what the traveling partner might be experiencing, it's helpful for the home-based parent to be understanding, okay, I can't expect this person to land and transition immediately into family life and pick up like nothing has happened. There is some transitioning. There might be stuff that they've they've lived through that they cannot share or they're not allowed to share or things like that. And and I think understanding just from the home-based parent point of view that you know, it's if they're distant, it's not because of us. It's because they might be processing something can be helpful, I think. Yeah. And at the same time, you may need support and it's okay. You're deserving of that support in the process because it's not really your job just to take it. Okay. You know, I think it goes both ways in the sense that the home-based parent has had to manage at the household mm-hmm. and, and there's been a, a rhythm to that. And so when the traveling parent comes back, it's not like things can flip and turn around upside down, like everything's changed. So it's really also the traveling parent having to tune into and adapt into what the family's routine and rhythm has been. Mm-hmm. It's definitely an interplay, right? And it, it does take communication. One thing I really saw in like the, the spouses of military veterans, but I think also happens with fat wives uh, in particular, is this whole stoic warrior, like we have to be the supportive place. And uh, really take care of them and their needs come first. But it's very important to address your own needs and the relationship and the family. And it's, it's two way. Mm-hmm. But this obviously this situation of deployments or business trips uh, is a unique for a lot of families is very unique. And so it, it requires another level of communication and coordination and clarity amidst what could also be in the context of trauma and healing. So these things are complex. And I suppose that's what I mean to convey is that if you're struggling, the answer is not for you to numb out as well and just be. Right. Good point. Right. But really allow yourself to navigate this process with some care and mindfulness as well. Gosh, this is so important. This is so important because I know that I've been like, I've heard people say, this is so hard. There must be a problem with me. And I'm like, no, this is actually multiple layers. And I think what I'm hearing you say is like, it's more complex and it's going to take more care. No? Yes, absolutely. So taking the time, what 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 would you suggest? For for example, let's start with the, the, the home-based spouse. What would you suggest in terms of starting to unravel this complexity of layers? If we can maybe take a a little bit step back. I think this aligns with something I, I really enjoy just inviting people into the work of mental wellness or mental health is that when they, when they are globally mobile, when they're expats, you know, there's a lot of conversation about like the, should I go, should I stay expat experience? And we sometimes make the mistake. This is probably my personal opinion of thinking that our inner experience is really related to our circumstances and what's going on outside. And to some extent it is, but I also think it can be an invitation to doing deeper inner work. So when you're sort of stripped of 
your country of origin, your immediate support system, your community, your culture, uh, and potentially your partner, your life partner, right? who's coming and going. I mean, you're really dealt with uh, the core of who you are and defining who that is or, or growing in ways, but also probably exposing all these raw spots from your own past, your own history and everything that makes you up. So part of it is maybe just a willingness to, which, which I think our, our, our culture is focused on so much and obsessed over this positivity and oh, being an expat is like this blessed experience. And it can be, but knowing that this is really choosing to do a journey of uncovering, of discovering, and starting to put together what pieces of myself do I want to work on? What uh, pieces of myself do I want to develop and grow? And so for some people that might be more independence, that might be more of building and identifying other hobbies and other identities. For other people that may be more healing some of these anxious attachment wounds, healing loneliness, or potentially even com- just communicating with a partner that there's something about the distance, the separation, the lifestyle that's really just not working. I really see this part of a greater conversation about really uh, owning our own needs, learning what those are and learning how to get those met, whether it's by our partners or how we've designed our life. Wow. So so when you see uh, patients or clients, do, do you reckon this is mostly what's coming up? People's struggling with identity, with their needs, and then helping them um, identify what they need? I think that's a huge piece of it. And the first step is people just giving themselves permission to be on this journey, Mm. I think, because there is part of it that is just like, I should be able to handle this. This isn't normal. And it is completely normal. I, I think maybe the, the privilege I have as a mental health professional is seeing People don't got it. Right. People's relationships aren't wonderful. Their communication isn't great. It takes work. And oftentimes we don't share these like intimate parts of ourselves um, with friends or with family. So we just aren't hearing it from other people in our lives. But it's way more widespread and far reaching than we would imagine. So beginning to just admit that to ourselves, like I'm deserving of. Help, like I'm deserving of going on this deeper journey. That is a huge first step because I think so many people resist this idea of, I mean, it could be therapy, it could be community care, it could be so many other things that they need to do it alone or they shouldn't be having this experience. Mm. But I'm biased. I, I will just say that I think doing the personal development work has been enriching for my life. And I think the more we give ourselves permission to do it, the more authentic and aligned our lives can become. Yeah. Yeah, for sure, for sure. It's interesting because over the years that I've been working on this topic, one of the things that keeps coming up is the fact that it's not talked about or that it hasn't been talked about. And for some reason, it's still 80% of women who are the home-based parent or partner, but for some reason, a lot of the time it's just mentioned in passing that their partner travels or they don't even realize. And I think that's been a lot of the work over the last few years is I've raised the topic and people have started talking about it more sort of on forums is suddenly thinking, wait, oh, yes, it is actually a big deal. You know, I don't know why. And even for me, for years and years and years, it hadn't even occurred to me that it was an extra layer to 
the expat life. It was only when we were talking about him going to Kabul that then I started asking questions around me, realizing that actually he traveled throughout our marriage and then that this was just eight weeks. I mean, you know, fine, eight weeks at a time, you know, what difference does it make kind of thing? But, well, it does. But anyway, but I think for some reason, we either don't realize that it's happening or we take it as part and parcel of the expat life. Oh, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be hard and they're not going to be around. What do you think? I think the tricky thing about being of the expat life is really what could be our lack of community, I could say, our independence being somewhat of a strength, being mm-hmm. able to step away from our communities. So in some way, you can call it like like a strong suit. Like this is the thing that serves us. This is why we're able to do this and have access to this life. But on the other side, it can get in the way of us really realizing how important community care is. I mean, one of the ways it looks like for me is, especially when we moved to Cameroon, it was very difficult for me because I was just learning French at the time. But for the first year or two, it was just about showing up at different events and parties and really most of the time, not really making too many connections that uh, I could feel like I found my people. Perhaps there would be just that one person. Perhaps that person would know just another person. Mm -hmm. It took about two years of investing in order for me to really have a community there, you know? And then by then it's time to move. (laughs) And so for a lot of people, it is exactly, it's time to move. But being able to really acknowledge that, okay, it's not going to be completely here for me. I may still need to rely on my community back home or my online community as my anchors, but also need to continue to be putting in that work and investing and whether it's having dinners or showing up or lunches when you don't really feel like it, uh, those relationships really matter because there's only so much you can do on your own. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. I think just you spot on because of the independence thing. We think, oh, we're strong. We can step out away from our communities and then we can do this. And then it's like, oh, this is actually harder than I thought. (laughs) And a big difference for expats compared to the military is that military does have that community care culture. Exactly. And so whether it's the wives coming together or families supporting other families, that's what really makes that possible for them to get through. As expats, we really need to build that and, and, and be intentional about it and probably be intentional even with our friends and family back home of letting them know. Like I can say it's something that was interesting that happened for me in the the first year that we were in Cameroon uh, was the first year for me to be really working from home. It was extremely isolating experience for me. Things got better after COVID for me because everybody else got online. Conferences went online, but also birthday parties and happy hours. And I was just thinking, man, it would be, would have been nice if for the past seven years, my friends had, you know, showed up for online happy hours, right? That's true. That's true. So when everyone else was really dealing with the uh, work from home um, shock in the face of the pandemic, I had already adapted to that. And in fact, uh, because I was already isolated and really enjoyed all of a sudden all the online interaction even if people were having complaining of zoom fatigue uh, for me i was i was kind of delighted that things were coming to me in my remote corner of the world mm-hmm. through mm-hmm. zoom yeah totally so what would you say to a traveling partner then coming back to 
we spend a little bit of time talking to, to about the home-based partner, but what would you say to the traveling partner as they come back and uh, sort of reconnect? I think part of it is like honoring and respecting the family system that has functioned and found a way to function sort of in their absence. So mm-hmm. there, there is some paying homage to, okay, how have you guys been doing things? How can I help? How can I fit in? And at the same time, thinking about ways to be intentional for them to have more connections with the family. And I think both, both date nights like with the partner that should be separate from time with the kids and also really intentional uh, quality time mm. with kids if there are kids in the picture. Mm. Do you think it's important for them to have contact when they're gone or it doesn't necessarily matter? Yeah, I think contact is very important. It has to be handled intentionally, right? And it depends kind of on the on the job. In some ways that used to say, especially for military and probably humanitarian workers, it can be pretty hard to switch modes. But it's another kind of code switching yes. to go from very like high level, um, fast paced, potentially traumatic environment, and then all of a sudden, you know, your kids on the phone and you have to be this way. So uh Planning can be helpful. And I I think this can be, it might depend on the personality of the couple, but I really recommend for all long distance couples for them to have actually scheduled time, scheduled calls, and also to kind of agree on what the agenda for the call is. So there may be like, okay, family catch up, or there's some to do type stuff that we need to take care of as a couple. Um, But there should also be just time for connecting. And on a more emotional level and expressing how much you you love or miss each other or like thinking about making plans for what you want to do in the future, because those are both roles of your partnership and you don't want it to become strictly just a working relationship. And so scheduling the time to just, okay, I need to be present for this. Like you would almost any other meeting and then having, knowing, is this a meeting or is this sort of like a date night? Yeah, but it is code switching, right, for them because they're in their mode of work, 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 and then they've got to suddenly switch to maybe an emotional, intimate, a completely different relationship. So that's very, very true. Yeah, and I I think scheduling can help with that because it can be a way of just knowing, okay, this is going to work better for me at the beginning of my day or my end of the day. They have some choice in the matter. I think that is a lot of the miscommunication can happen where one partner is like, okay, I need you now. And the other person's not emotionally or intellectually fully present to be there for them. What do you think about consistency then? Doing it regularly or do you think there's an importance in whether you do it once a week or every week or once every two weeks or once every day? Or does it not matter so much? Is it more of an idea of just doing it from time to time? I think that probably depends on the couple. I like the idea of experimenting okay, and being flexible and not really saying that there is uh, one specific formula that's going to work for every couple or for every job or scenario, right? Especially if you have kids, they're not going to be necessarily on, on a schedule. Right. <laughs> there, there may just be a way to say, hey, uh, like, can we use text message for check-ins? Like, is now a good time? This sort of thing. But at least having, I think, a couple of regularly scheduled calls can be really helpful it, just in terms of coordinating and connecting and being clear on what are we doing here. Mm. And, you know, there's also other things like for some partners, they just may need more contact. They may just need the good mornings and the good nights and a couple of messages or 
sending a couple of TikToks or whatever it is that uh, you do to connect, to feel connected throughout the day or just like videos of what's going on. And then there may be other couples that really prefer the quality time where, hey, let's watch a movie together for a few hours. So let's just wait until you have enough time to sit down and really be with me. And so every couple I think is different, but the difference uh, with the long distance relationships and partnerships is that we have to be so explicit on figuring out what our um, cadence is going to be with each other and how we're going to do this and, and adapt and say, okay, this didn't work for me this week. And I think one of the measures should always be how close do you feel with your partner? If you're starting to feel distant, if you're starting to feel numbed, like that is a red flag. That is a warning sign of just like, you know, I, I need something more and that's okay to need something more. And part of having a partner is just being willing to figure out what works and do the work and experiment together in order to meet each other's needs. That's very true. Very true. <laughs> I'm thinking all of these can be can be quotes. <laughs> it's just they're all hitting the mark. What do you say? Is there anything you want to add in terms of what you would say to a traveling partner or to a home-based partner before we go on to maybe potentially talk about how a therapist can help? You know, the, I think the biggest thing that I want to emphasize is that there's a lot of talk out there about self-care. And I do think that's incredibly important, but I also think that that's something that we put a lot of burden on the individual to figure out and take care of. And so one of the things I, we're starting to see some change in this, but the move towards community care and that idea. So I talked about that a little bit, but just have some self-care plans in place, but know that is not the end all be all. We are incredibly social beings. We are meant to be with or in proximity to our partners. and so. It requires us to be connected in not only to our partners, but to a lot of other people to get through this. So really stepping out, uh, zooming out and saying, this is not all on you. It's not for you to be feeling better. I mean, even, um, a bubble bath a day is not going to take away the loneliness. No, no. So is it, what's the word, reaching out to having a wider support network, having a um, more diverse support network? Yeah, all those things. And, and also just knowing that if, if that's even not enough, like that's okay as well. I mean, another thing that this is a little bit further down the road, but I, I think it's helpful for couples to know that this doesn't have to be always like if this lifestyle is not working for them, like they, they also need to feel like they're in a position of choice and that their partner is going to be able to respect what their limits are. And so if they're not able to find a way that has enough connection, closeness that they're, they're, you know, the other partner is willing to back you up and say, okay, we have to change something here, even if it's going to be radical, even if it's going to be hard, just knowing that you're not a prisoner in your lifestyle or that you're alone in this, or you just have to deal with it. I alleviate so much of this and and give yourself the uh, ability to experiment. Okay, I'm going to try this, see this, blah, 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 have kind of a time limit. I can't figure this out in a year or two. And it's just too much. I don't need to keep taking these mental health hits in order to survive this lifestyle. Okay. So I suppose this is where a therapist can help, right? Or a coach of saying, yeah. okay, because sometimes we're not objective and sometimes we don't know where else to turn, right? 
it's not even a matter of just knowing it. I mean, even for us therapists, we need our own therapist, right? We need our own sounding board and someone to help us really think through these higher level issues. So unless you've been in therapy and I should say like had a good relationship or experience with the therapist, I'll also just put that out there. If you've tried it and it didn't work, I mean, maybe you need to try another three to four therapists or something until you find the good fit for you. Even at being a psychologist myself, I've had positive experiences and less helpful experiences with different mental health professionals. But you should know after five to six sessions, whether you're gaining traction and you're you're really being able to integrate some of these things. So you would feel it after five or six sessions, you're starting to think, ooh, I'm starting to feel like less, less alone. I'm starting to feel like less stuck. I'm starting to feel less that there's. You have more clarity at least. Okay. Yeah. Like you should be able to feel that it's an addition to, I mean, for a lot of us, we spend a lot of time spinning in our own heads before we actually reach out and uh, involve, engage someone else. Mm -hmm. And I think you should by five to six sessions, you should be feeling a difference. You should be feeling, okay, I'm, I'm getting something here. I like, I'm at least clear that I, I need to be working on this or trying this. You should start to feel like you're getting out of your head and more into your life. Okay. I love that. Okay. So how do you choose a therapist? In this day and age, uh, it's getting a lot easier in terms of, uh, the number of directories that there are out there in order to search for someone. I think it continues to be difficult for expats because a lot of them are location specific and based on licensing laws and and some places they're not regulated. And it's even more complicated if you're a couple living in two different locations, because especially if these are places where uh, therapy is regulated, because that means that you may need to find a therapist or mental health professional who is able to practice in both of those countries, or even within the United States in both of those states. So a lot of the work that I do is actually family coaching or couples coaching. And typically, this is when the coaching revolves around communication, relationship skills, and not on a mental health diagnosis. That actually usually fits for most of the expat couples that I see and talk to and work with. So they may not need to find a therapist, but it gets a little trickier if you're working with a coach and even with therapists, there's really different qualifications in every country of what does that really mean? Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, it may be through one of these directories, but I think it's based on a personal screening process. Do the discovery consultation, see if you're, you're, you're feeling a connection with them. And then, Invest in working with them for the five to six sessions for a month or two and see for yourself, is this working? Is this improving our relationship, my relationship with myself? I I think it's a plus if you can find somebody who understands either the, the multicultural expat experience or if there's a particular cultural context that you're living, working in, even the profession, if they have some experience with that. I think it's always better if you can find someone who kind of gets yeah. your experience yeah, and your background. So for, for the license bit, it's twofold, right? It's for reimbursement, but it's also for guarantee of professionalism, right? But so presumably you could, if you were comfortable that someone was had professional experience enough, 
if they weren't necessarily licensed in your state, you could still feel comfortable enough to say, well, okay, this won't be reimbursed, but I feel comfortable that this person is licensed enough that I can invest the money and not necessarily get it back. Is that is that right? Or is that wrong? Definitely reimbursement plays a big role for a lot of people. If you do need to, if you can go through the insurance, try to find a provider who you can be reimbursed for, and that should be helpful. But a lot of times that person just isn't available. It's like trying to find a unicorn, somebody who's licensed in this country, in that country, in this state, in that state. So your only option may be a coach. And some psychologists might be anti-coaching, but I do think there's a role in place for coaching. And so there's a couple of things you can look for. Uh, are they focused on what are they going to coach you on? What is the relationship coaching? And if it's around communication skills or intimacy, and they actually have credentials, experience in that area, or for example, experience with expats, that could be extremely valuable. And, and you could see if they're starting to talk more about mental health issues and working on using words like healing, then that's when I would start to worry about, well, why don't they have a, a registration or some, because they're starting to now kind of go across the line into the more medical field okay. and what they're saying that they're offering. So that's one thing to look at. And then the other thing to look at is what is their contracts like? If you are doing coaching, what guarantees are they making? I encourage you to ask them, what rights do you have as, as a coaching client? If you're not, if you're working with a coach instead and having that in writing mm -hmm. and seeing how you work with them. Are they, are they professional? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Are they uh, showing up in a way that you feel confident and can trust them? Mm -hmm. But a good idea could be for a couple who's about to start, say a split location where one of the partners is about to go away to another country to actually maybe do a few sessions of coaching or therapy, you know, as a sort of, discussion on okay how are we going to do this what what are the boundaries going to be you know where, what do we want to be flexible on it could be a good idea right I love that I love that idea Rhoda you know just like the premarital counseling yeah. that people may do yeah. you know the, the sort of like pre-distance coaching and work could be really helpful just coming up with the plan and getting on the same page about that, sharing ideas that I think that can be very helpful. And there's a lot that can come up with that because both partners are going to have different needs or, and there'll be different needs that show up. Uh, for example, the partner who's away may say, look, I thought I could be in contact with you every day. I'm just too burnt out at the end of the day or at the beginning of my day. Mm -hmm. Can we space this out? I think getting ahead of it can be very, very helpful, especially if, if this was difficult for the relationship in the past, it didn't go well, you're just kicking and screaming and um, dreading the next time it happens. Why wait until you're really about to hit rock bottom, Yeah, one or the other mm. with this mm. and just say, hey, like, let's, let's just get ahead of this. Let's involve a, a professional and someone help us figure this out. Yeah. Well, yes, to make it work, potentially. I think people would be afraid of like going, oh, no, you know, we're going to talk and then it's not going to be possible because one of us will say like it's, you know, something will come up. But I think it's probably best that it come out then rather than six months down the road when it's, you know, much more involved, I suppose. And, you you know, you're, Absolutely. You, you've, you've actually gotten hurt through it. So 
at the end of the day, some people need to, to learn this on their own. And, and sometimes life experience is the best thing. So you, you try to do it on your own and you see how it goes. If it didn't go well, uh, yeah. you have information, you have data, like, let's try something else. I think it helps right. you really flexible and open-minded. And if you can have more support mm-hmm. through the process, then then use it. You deserve it. It's already somewhat superhuman to be trying to find happiness and emotional intimacy without having your partner physically around. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we've come to the end of our time together. Thank you so much. It's been really, really rich. How can people reach you? And then my last question usually to guests, is there a life resource that you that that's been beneficial to your life that you'd like to share people can reach me my website www.drnita.com and that's nita spelled n-e-e-t-a you can check me out there book a discovery consultation you can also send me an email my email address is listed there it's dr.nita at psychologyacrossborders.com And I would love to get connected with you. If you have any questions, we can do a discovery consultation. And I even offer that if you're just somewhat curious about starting this process, even if I may not be the best fit for you, I'm happy to talk you through some of the differences between therapy, coaching, how to find someone. So that's what the discovery consultation is for. It's it's just a way for anyone who's even curious about considering this process. I'm open to helping you out. As far as the resource, I recommend Hold Me Tight, the book by Dr. Sue Johnson. And it is really around uh, emotion-focused therapy for couples. And I'm trained in emotion-focused therapy for couples. I end up using a lot of this perspective and approach in my coaching that I do with couples. And it's really great at looking at the patterns that we engage in that are in relationships. And it definitely is a pattern and dynamic. It's beyond the personality because with a different person, you'll have a different dynamic, a different pattern. And it's all sort of us doing this dance in order to find secure attachment in our relationships and really growing through learning how to respond to each other's emotions. Okay. This book has been very helpful. So it would be whether there's distance or whether there's not distance, it's the the dance would probably be the same. Yeah, I, I I'm curious to see. I wonder if there is some research on how does this manifest in in uh, distance couples, but all couples have them. All couples will do a, some kind of have some kind of pattern, some kind of dynamic. And part of uh, the arguments that happen with couples, the idea is actually to start realizing the pattern is the bad guy, the dynamic is, and that both of you are stepping into these roles. Mm-hmm. And those roles could be completely flipped if it was another person or another relationship. Okay. So it's not you, it's not even your partner, but really learning how to identify those in order to move past just these kind of preset avatars that we end up playing or, or the stepping into and having and really finding your partner again. This is a really great book for emotional intimacy. It's a great kind of introduction to couples therapy. I think it can be really illuminating. Yeah, the other resource I recommend is selfcompassion.org. And there's also some books by Kristen Neff started this website. And I'm just a big proponent on 
self-compassion. I wrote my dissertation on self-compassion. I really integrate it into the work that I do both for therapy and coaching with clients. And I think it is a helpful antidote to sort of the stark independence that we really try to have as expats or getting it right. And all the pressures we have of, of, you know, when we make these cultural mishaps of just saying, Hey, like I'm, I'm, I'm doing a new thing. I'm going to mess up. I'm going to make mistakes. I'm going to have some failures and breakdowns. And how do I deal with myself when that happens? And how do I just care for myself, have compassion to myself in a way that uh, is actually going to come back to be, help me be resilient, get back up again, remember why I'm here. So, yeah, I think those two. Thank you. Thank you very much for those two books. And also thank you very much for uh, talking with me today and sharing from your experience. It was so interesting. Um, I really hope it was helpful for the audience. And it was really just a great time to reflect on uh, what it is that we do in this expat life. Thank you very much. <laughs>